Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Stay tuned. We're talking the Magi and what star did they see? Right here on Truth Be Told, Hosea 4-6 Podcast. Don't go nowhere. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Trevi Trev, coming to you again today, this evening, wherever you are in the world. It might be nighttime, morning, dawn, the break of dawn, whichever, dusk. But anyways, glad to come to you again. So thankful for you all and your downloads. We are global. Uh, if you listen to our last podcast, we shout out some a few countries, um, quite a few countries. So we are over the all over the world. And thank God for that, that... Um, we are hopefully pushing people to really investigate Christianity, whether you are in the faith or not of the faith. Um, we want this podcast to be something uh, to where people uh, investigate and really our name, uh, Hosea 4-6, um, our people are what God said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge or are destroyed with some translations read. And so we don't want to be a part of the problem where people are destroyed because they don't know um, I remember when I went to yeah, community college and I took a bunch of religious courses. And uh, when it came to Christianity, uh, it was presented from a perspective that kind of shook me a little bit. But uh, yeah, so I don't want you guys to go through that or not be able to have any questions answered. So I try to gather a lot of scholars, uh, theologians on this podcast. Um, even I'm not a scholar and I'm not a theologian, but, uh, you know, you'll hear Jamal and I uh, do some episodes together and just talk, um, and, and talk about scripture and talk about God and what he has done for us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, but anyways, listen, it's a good time to talk about Jesus. Um, especially the theology of Christmas. If you want to get into theology, Philippians two, five through 11, really good theology of Christmas there. Um, but there is some scholarly stuff, and I love the scholarly aspect of Christianity. And I've been following this brother on Facebook for some time. I really have epic. If you are on Facebook, epic archaeology, if you are archaeology nut or a geek or a scholar or what have you, um, I do subscribe to Bar. Uh, there might be some bones and shoes thrown with that because I know that perspective is kind of... <laughs> My guest is laughing because he knows it, it, it might be a little bit on the other side from where him and I stand, but it's all good. It's it's all good there. Um, Near East Archaeological Society based in Virginia Beach. I subscribe with them. Uh, get my every other month. I think it comes out every other month with them. But nonetheless, this is good material. Love it. Um, took archaeology when I was in my bachelor's program. So. Uh, that was good. That was a really good course. But nonetheless, um, I have this brother coming on. His name is Ted Wright, and he is phenomenal. Trust me when I tell you guys, I saw this clip. I think he posted on Facebook. and I was like, man, I've been wanting to get somebody on to talk about the Magi and the Star of Bethlehem. What did they see? Was it a star? all of that jazz. And so are these some mystics in Babylon or were these some Jews waiting in Persia that came out? Ta-da! But we're here to talk with our dear brother, Ted Wright. Mr. Wright, welcome, sir. Great to be on with you, brother. Yes, thank sir. Thank you I'm so good. much. Thanks for yeah. having me. No, thank you. I, I know you you got a celebrity now, so I was shocked when you... <laughs> <laughs> But nothing, man, I'm so glad you're here. I uh, like I said, I've been following your page for years and just I'm really am excited that you're here and, you know, get a good, healthy perspective of the Magi and the stars we were discussing early before we started recording. Um, that you point out, there's a lot of literature on this topic, which it is. Um, and so I remember Joe Osteen. Yes. I know that that name, you know, just bear with me, but he he put out a pretty decent you know, 
four-part series on Jesus, and it featured a bunch of scholars from different perspectives. Mm. And, uh, you know, I actually bought it on YouTube. It's pretty cheap, but, um, you know, Dr. Ben Witherington III is in there. Oh, that's And great. I forget it's – yeah, he's he's featured in there he's, quite – He's sharp, yeah. Yes, he is, very sharp. He's at, he's at Asbury in uh, Kentucky, I think. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, and it was, the, it was a number of other ones. Uh, Dr. Shiverly Smith out of Boston University, she was on there. Um, I forget it. I know it's Dr. Mark, but I forget his last name, but he used to be the editor of bar. Okay. Yeah. Risa, I think he teaches at. Yes. I think I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes, I can't there, recall so. his last name, but yes. Right. So, but it, he, you know, just a healthy balance and they did a lot on, um, the nativity. So, and even discussed the Magi. So I think one of them said because of one of the spices, they may have been from Yemen, but they, they didn't want to make that or what present day Yemen, let me say that present day Yemen. Mm -hmm. So the Saudi Arabian peninsula, but anyway, so I'm going to shut up and I'm going to let Mr. Ted Wright. He's going to talk to us about the Magi and the star, because this is phenomenal. It really is. When you, you get into it, it, I'm just, smitten kittens over the bible when it comes to the historical the scholarly i mean i'm just chewing it all up and my wife knows anytime an amazon truck pulls up you know what time it is <laughs> 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 but anyway mr Wright, welcome let the audience know uh, anything you want them to know about yourself education where you teach at where you reside what you do help yourself well, thanks again for having me on. It's such an honor to be with you guys and and to uh, you know be with your audience. And thank you, thank you for following Epic Archaeology. Yes, sir. Uh, we started it a few years ago, back in 2017. Um, on on actually Easter Sunday morning is when we officially launched. And uh, um, I have taught for uh, over a decade uh, two seminaries in Charlotte. I'm, right now, I'm uh, I'm I'm actually just a uh, independent scholar, but I'm a research associate with. Andrews University. I currently live in the Chicago area, and um, and also teach uh, some courses online with uh, an organization called the Basora Institute, uh, which I actually have a course coming up in February. If people want to sign up for it. Um, I can send you the link for that. But um, my name is Ted Wright, and I started EpicArchaeology.org um, to really sort of bridge the gap between the academic world of archaeology and Near Eastern archaeology and ancient history and the average churchgoer to try to sort of uh, interpret a lot of the scholarly literature uh, to the average Christian so that they can see that they can actually trust what they read in the scripture, that it's historically reliable. And, to, and I'm also an educator, so I love teaching and, and um, my passion's teaching. So I try to get that across in a lot of our epic archaeology material is I try to educate uh, people about what archaeology is, what it, what it can do, what it can't do, you know, what are the pros and cons of it. I think a lot of times people think that archaeology can prove everything and it really can't. Um, but uh, yeah, so I my passion is archaeology. I absolutely love it. Um, I, I knew that when I started studying it years ago, um, that it was something that I would keep my attention. And I thought maybe, you know, after a few years, I'd probably get bored with it. But it's actually gotten <laughs> even more, uh, more of a passion as the years have gone by, because so many questions come up and you think that, you know, when you start studying all this stuff, you start to have your questions answered, but then new questions raise up that mm-hmm. you want to find the answer for. So, uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm really honored to be beyond you guys and to, to talk about this fascinating question. Oh yeah. Yeah. Please, um, please send us that link so we can share on our, our social media. Cause, um, you know, you don't, you don't have to go to seminary to, you know, if you want to pastor, I mean, there's a lot of certificate right. courses out. Yep. You know, uh, because yeah, that 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 seminary run you in the dirt quick. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it is it is rewarding. Let me say, I'm not trying to talk back because I did seminary, but it is rewarding. Um, yes. But you know, if if you are busy as a, as a pastor or or with family, there there are some certificate courses, and I believe um, Dr. Wright here, uh, his course will be a tremendous tool for you. Um, you can add it to your well of knowledge um, and just be an overall blessing to you. So we will definitely do that and post on our social media. And even Absolutely. I will try to post it on. So those that don't follow us on social media, but follow us, our, our podcast via Podbean, Spotify, all that jazz. We'll make sure we'll link that here so you guys can uh, check that out. So fantastic. 
Well, anyway, so who are these men? Let's get into it because I was reading. Let me. I heard that in Susan R. Garrett, she writes in The Demise of the Devil, Magic and the Demonic and Luke's writing that that word magus or magi has a both positive and negative connotation way back in 6th century BCE or BC, whichever you want to use, or 5th century it started to change. Can you talk to us? Who are these men? The whole, just give it to me. I don't, I don't want to butt in, but just give it to me wherever you want to start. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, the New Testament, of course, is written in Koine Greek. It's written, um, you know, uh, during the, uh, what we call in historians call the second temple period in, um, you know, in Pal- in Jewish or Roman Judea. Uh, some people call it Palestine, although that's a loaded term because whenever you use the word Palestine, people get worked up about right. the whole modern Palestinian conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Roman Judea, basically. Um, so in that time frame, of course, you've got the the, the major superpower of the day wa- was the Roman Empire. And they had trade networks all throughout the Roman world and to the south, to the north, east and the west. And, uh, you know, at the height of the Roman Empire, they had some people have estimated they, that they had somewhere on the order of about 50,000 miles of paved Roman roads. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a lot of trade networks to the south, obviously, and just to the south across the Jordan River to the south is the city of Petra that was a, a Nabataean city. And uh, whenever when you read about the account of the birth of Christ, of course, you read this uh, on two on two of the gospel accounts in Matthew's account and also Luke's account. We read about these. Uh, the New Testament just merely calls them Magi. And right. there's been, of course, as you said earlier, there's there's a quite a lot of material that has been written on this uh, from many, many people. Um, but so l- let me just there's no easy way to jump into it except to say that. Um, uh, you know, we can conjecture all day long about, you know, what the New Testament meant. It just simply just uses the term magi. Mm-hmm. And culturally and historically, what that typically meant were, uh, you know, we, we think about magician. Uh, that's where we get the word magician, magi. But really, in its historical context, it had to do a little bit of, little bit of that, a little bit of uh, astrology, but also astronomy was in there as well. Mm-hmm. And they did study the stars, and they did study the heavens, and of course, many pagan nations like the Egyptians, the Babylonians, and, and the ancient Persians um, all had a very uh, robust um, view of the heavens. In fact, uh, going all the way back to ancient Babylon, we know that the, the Babylonians kept a very meticulous record mm-hmm. of astronomy, and so um, you know that has led a lot of a lot of scholars, uh, you know, for the last two thousand years uh, to try to identify exactly where they came from. I right. saw an, a recent article published actually um, on a popular website about uh the fact that they brought gold frankincense and myrrh mm-hmm. uh they this person was arguing that they very likely uh possibly <laughs> likely came from uh ancient petra uh oh, where wow. the Nikians were because we we do know that uh they came from persia uh but uh the the point is that uh they we don't really know exactly the bible doesn't really say it just, it just calls them magi from the east so mm-hmm. and the also the other thing too is that we typically think of them as being three because of the three, you know, um, uh, gifts that they brought. Right. Uh, but it could have been more. It could have been a whole, you know, caravan of of men from the east. Um, so, so I'll just say that you know we would be careful to to be really super dogmatic about exactly who they were. Although we can say with a fair degree of certainty that they did very likely come from uh, either Babylon, Persia, or uh, uh, you know, in the south, uh, toward just south of the Jordan River, um, in the southern part of Jordan near ne- the Nabataean settlement of Jordan at Petra, uh, in that area as well. So, or they could have come from all three. So, it doesn't rule out that possibility. Um, so that's kind of what I would say. That's how I would answer the, the question of the identification of the Magi. Um, mm-hmm. I tend to pers- my personal view is I tend to favor, uh, that they at least some of them possibly came from Babylon because we know that Daniel was a captive in Babylon and we know that many right. Jewish captives went into captivity in the Babylonian captivity in the 6th century BC under the king under King Nebuchadnezzar and um very likely would have had some interaction with the Jewish scribes there and would have been you know 
uh, understood their prophecies and identified a king being born in mm-hmm. you know in Israel at that time. So, uh, so again, I'm I wouldn't I wouldn't die on that hill. I wouldn't like plant my flag to say I know for certain exactly. But I but I feel um, just based on what I know historically and from the Old Testament standpoint, I would I would say that uh, a couple of them, if not a few of them, probably came from Babylon. Uh, right. That's where I would. That's where I kind of lean. Okay. I, um, it, we kind of cut out. You said something about Petra. Yes. And that's where we cut. Could you touch on that just one more time? Yeah. So Petra. Many people. Many people know Petra uh, uh, from the movie Indiana Jones. Right. If you've seen that movie, oh, yeah. you know, the, La- the Last Crusade. Uh, uh, Indy is there, and they're uh, looking for the. Uh, of course, the the. Um, the Holy Grail. Uh, the Holy Grail. That's right. Okay. And uh, they go in there and they they meet the knight. But uh, in historical terms, the Petra was a uh, a very vibrant city uh, during Rome the Roman period, and uh, they were settled by a group of people in the south called the Nabataeans, and they, they had extensive trade networks uh, in Saudi Arabia and in Yemen and in other places. And so what I was saying is that uh, one of one of the latest um, things that I've seen come across is that uh, some of the some of the Magi may have very likely been from uh, from Petra or somewhere gotcha. in that area, the Nabataean area. So, again, I'm saying it's it's possible that it could have been a little mixture of all of it. It could have been yeah. Persia, Babylon. It just the the text only says Magi from the east. That's all the text says. Mm-hmm. So. Anything beyond that is an educated guess. And mm-hmm. so, you know, using historical sources and using what we know of the time, we do know that uh, there was an extensive trade network. In fact, um, at the, uh, you know, in the Romans, uh, they developed this extensively later, but they did have a series of fortresses um, that were uh, stationed in the Transjordan across the Jordan River um, down into the deserts and the out- outskirts of the Roman Judea uh, mm-hmm. that we would call caravanseries, uh, but they were Roman uh, border fortresses. Yeah. And uh, so when when people would do trade in the south, they would uh, you know pull their camels and their horses and their donkeys into these uh, Roman fortresses. So mm-hmm. uh, So it makes sense that they would come from that area. Okay, it, it does. I, it, you know, I've heard, and I shared with you. I said I've heard Yemen, like where President Yemen is. Mm-hmm. I've heard as far east as probably where that China, the far western part of that China border. I've heard it there. So it's just, I mean, like you said, you just got to make a, a best guesstimate. I mean, you just, I mean, we don't know, and like you said, you don't know how many. I mean, traditionally, it's well, three gifts and three wise men, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I've heard where it can be anywhere from two to two thousand. I don't know if two thousand that might be because you know, Harry might have thought it was an army coming in. Like, hold on, wait a minute, whoa, what are y'all doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this: we, uh, based on the the kinds of gifts that the Magi brought, um, mm-hmm. the fact that it's gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we do know that in the um, in that time period, in the Second Temple period, during uh, when the Romans were in, you know, at the height of their power uh, in the uh, Hellenistic period, we do know that that was the typical gift for a uh, king at that time right. uh, is gold, frankincense and myrrh. And frankincense was used not just um, in uh, in Jerusalem in, in, in sense, but also all throughout, uh, you know, Babylon and Persia it was used as well uh, mm-hmm. and, and very likely in Rome. So it was, uh, you know, and then the gold could uh, have definitely come from Yemen. Uh, or you know the the southern part of Arabia, or even in um, in Africa, possibly. So uh, there's any number of things. It's just uh, you know people want to plant their flag, and and I think I think it's a fascinating question. But again, it's hard to be from an archaeological standpoint. It's really hard to be super dogmatic about it. It's mm-hmm. just that there's because there's good arguments and you know on pro and con on on either one. But uh, but I think it's safe to say they definitely came from Babylon. Persia and possibly Yemen or somewhere in in Arabia. Right. Okay, cool, cool. So, all right, so we established a general area where these men, these wise men, if you want to say um mystics if you would, are yes. you know learning some esoteric stuff. I you know, I diviners, the occult, I don't, <laughs> you know, we just know they're from the east uh so anyways. Um when let me ask you this 
did they just look up and see this bright star? How, because it just, you know, we, we seen a star and uh, talk to us about that. Did they, how did they see the stars? I mean, we, I know we have telescopes today. I mean, talk to us a little bit about what's going on with that star, because I've heard star, I've heard comet, I've heard Jupiter. Right. Talk to us about that. So this is where we're going to get into some, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Obviously, the, many people who study have studied this issue have read a book about it or have watched a video or documentary on it. So I know that the many listeners out there may have a strong opinion on this. Um, this is based on my research on it. Um, and so it's a it's a fantastic question as to exactly what did the Magi see. But that question hinges upon several other prior questions that you have to sort of deal with. And uh, one of them is the birth date of Christ, um, mm -hmm. and uh, when can we, can or can we actually pinpoint, or at least get within a very, very, you know, a short distance um, of the birth date of Christ, exactly when he was born. So let right. me just start with saying, let me just begin with some, so what I would call dating points uh, for Christ's birth, first from Roman sources, and then from early Christian sources. Mm -hmm. um, so let's begin with some dates that we know. Let me just say this about dates. Archaeology deals, let me, let me just back up and just give a broad uh, preface uh, from what, for what I'm about to say, is that archaeology is a study of artifacts. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a study necessarily of the stars. It's a study of artifacts. And so whenever you're asking the question, what did the wise men see? It's really sort of an indirect question that archaeology tries to answer, although I would say the, the other little sort of tangential issue is that there is a uh, a very sort of side discipline in archaeology, although it's very, you don't see it a lot discussed by, you know, archaeologists working in the field, and it's called archaeoastronomy. Oh, it's wow. sort of, uh, some people think it's sort of fringe, but, but there is a legitimate, I think, study of the uses, uses of stars um, to date astronomical events in history. And we know, of course, when you have a historical source, such as a papyrus in Egypt that mentions mm -hmm. a solar eclipse or a comet or something like that, then we can sort of look in the days to see when that may have happened. Mm -hmm. um, and there's several actual uh, events in ancient history that, that they do record you know, astronomical events. So then that's when astronomy and archaeology intersect. And so, uh, one of them, uh, let me just say, one of them is um, the dating of the uh, this papyrus in Egypt that has a bearing on uh, the dates of some uh, reigns of Egyptian pharaohs. Mm -hmm. And there's a papyrus that discusses the uh, rising of a particular star in Egypt, and uh, the date hinges on where the observation was given. Was it given in Thebes or was it given in Memphis? Thebes is to the mm -hmm. south, Memphis to the north. And so there's a big debate among Egyptologists over the chronology of Egyptian pharaohs. And that a lot of some of that debate uh, hinges on the dating of this papyrus called the Ebers papyrus. Okay. Um, and so so that's what so that's to say that is that archaeology does sometimes intersect with astronomy. And so uh, so that's why I begin with looking at some some dates that we can see what may what might they have seen in the astronomical record? So that's where we have to look at the date of Christ. So let's begin with some dates that we know for sure that, in fact, most historians would not disagree with. Okay. First one uh, I will give you, and um, just for the sake of, because I know you you like to talk about some of the stuff that um, the uh, Rome, uh, the city of Rome, of course, uh, they date that to, I think it's like 730, 740, something like that. But uh, okay. the death of Julius Caesar was in, um, it's AUC, which stands for Ab Urbe Conditia, which in Latin means from the founding of the city. So 710 AUC by the Roman calendar, but Julius Caesar died in 44 BC. Okay. That was a very you know, a very strong recorded event in Roman history. Um, nobody really doubts that. Uh, we know that after uh, Caesar was assassinated in 44 BC, his nephew, Mark Anthony, um, uh, succeeded him. And then uh, Mark Anthony uh, went into the civil war and eventually defeated, or excuse me, uh, Octavian defeated Mark Anthony and Cleopatra at a battle 
in um, off the coast of Asia Minor mm-hmm. in 31 BC called the Battle of Actium. We know that that was in. We know that's a firm date that that was in 31 BC, right. and then we know that Anthony and Cleopatra died in around 30 BC. And then we also know that Octavius Augustus, who was again the nephew, the ones who succeeded Julius Caesar, died in around AD 14, according mm-hmm. to the you know Christian calendar. So those are dates that we know for sure. Um, but then we have some dates uh, for the birth date of Christ, and for this is gets into a whole bunch of rabbit trail. Oh, yeah. let, say, <laughs> let, me just, let me just say for the audience that, and this is this is where I go. Here's my thinking on this: is that um, you have people writing who are closer to the events, who would have had closer access to historical records. Mm-hmm. So I put I place a lot of value on uh, uh, early sources who would have been able to, you know, verify some of these historical, uh, you know, claims. So let me just say this: that in, from the Christian sources, from the birth date of Christ, in of the 12 earliest church fathers, 10 of them, and I'm going to list them, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria. And by the way, Clem, Irenaeus, uh, and you, before that, you got Polycarp. These are the people that mm-hmm. succeeded the Apostle Paul. So right. when Paul died in Rome and Peter died, you have you had men to succeed them. These are the earliest church fathers. So Stop. Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Africanus, mm-hmm. Hippolytus of Rome, Hippolytus of Thebes, Origen, Eusebius, uh, Epiphanius. Um, let's see, one other one is uh, Orosius, who was actually a. Uh, now he's later; he's about fourth century. He he was succeeded Saint Augustine. Okay. All ten of the twelve earliest church fathers place the birth date of Christ at three or two BC. Three or two BC. So now we've got something to work with. So taking that as a sort of starting point, mm-hmm. we can work from there to see uh, what we might see in the night sky. Then this, this brings us now, uh, now that we kind of have a working uh, chronology, this brings us to Herod the Great, because we know that Jesus, according to the Gospels, Jesus was born during the days of Herod the Great. Right. Of course, after he was born. Um, he was, uh, you know, Joseph was uh, warned in a dream to flee to Egypt, which he did. And we believe that Mary and Joseph and, uh, and you know, the child, Christ, the Christ child went to Egypt for about two years or so. And then uh, Joseph said that those who sought the child's life are now dead mm-hmm. and you can go back to Israel to return back to Israel. Right. So then that then that so that gives us some working diameter, you know, parameters to see exactly uh, what those dates are. But here's the here's the little um, monkey wrench in the whole thing of chronology is that many scholars and historians, in fact, go, dating this actually comes directly from Josephus himself. Flavius mm-hmm. Josephus was a Roman historian slash Jewish historian who lived during the first century, during the during the early uh, days of Christ. In fact, even up to the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. But but Josephus, according to his chronology, has the, the death date of Herod as being 4 BC. Yeah. Um, but there are some chronological problems with that uh, for multiple reasons. It's hard to get into. Uh, but we, but uh, this was actually uh, put forth by uh, most scholars. Uh, the, the most famous one in the in the modern period is a Jewish scholar by the name of Emil Schur, who wrote a book called "The History of the Jewish People in the Times of Jesus Christ," uh, that was published between 1897 and 1898. But basically, he put forth this idea of the death date of Herod as mm-hmm. being 4 BC. Um, but uh, the problem is. Uh, there are some chronological problems for Herod's death date of 4 BC. We we'll say, well, why? Why is this an issue? Because the, this again helps us to pinpoint the birth date of Christ, so we can actually look at the, the stars to see what you know, the wise men m- might have seen. Mm-hmm. So let me just, for the take us for the second time, let me just go through very quickly uh, and point by point some some of the issues and some of the just the reasoning here um, for the uh, you know for the 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 three slash two BC birth date of Christ and why Herod likely did not die in four BC, but, um, but about one BC actually. Okay. Uh, 
So the first one is this, that the majority, again, of the majority of the early church fathers placed the birthday of Christ during the 41st year of the reign of Octavius Augustus. This would be, when you just look at the data, this puts it about 3 or 2 BC. And most even most historians, when you look at these dates, they're in the winter. So that's why it's sort of a up in the air. Was it December? Mm-hmm. Was it January kind of right. thing? Um, and then the death uh, of Herod, of course, is key to identifying the birth year of Christ because Herod was alive when Christ was born. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, Josephus mentions a partial lunar eclipse shortly before the death of Herod in his Jewish wars and also his book Antiquities of the Jews. Um, but he also mentions that there was a Passover that was celebrated afterwards. Uh, but there are uh, actually there's one partial eclipse and then uh, lunar eclipse, and then the rest of the lunar eclipses that show up are actually full lunar eclipses. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a couple of scholars that I've read on this, and um, and I'll I'll just throw the names out there, and I can if you want me to talk about them later, I can. Um, okay. One of the ones that I primarily ever uh, relying on is a uh, who's now deceased. His name is Jack Finnegan. And uh, Finnegan has got a great book on New Testament archaeology, and he also has another book on a uh, a book on biblical chronology, and it is an absolute treasure trove of historical uh, primary source information on these dates. Um, you know, from primary sources. Not it's not just like he's making this out of thin air. He's showing right. you exactly where he's getting it from. So uh, Finnegan basically says that the problem with that is that. Um, in the last period of Herod's life, between the eclipse, okay, because we know that uh, there was eclipse shortly before he died and the Passover, Josephus narrates that there were multiple events that took place. And so when you look at all the events that Josephus mentions uh, in, the, um, in the life of Herod, uh, it's, there's just too much stuff that had to happen uh, for the 4 BC death date. So right. it had to have been a different date. So let me just give you a few of these that that Finnegan mentions. On the night of the eclipse, Herod had two rabbis. This is terrible. He had two rabbis burned alive for the destruction of a golden eagle at the temple gate. Mm. Uh, one of the big issues in the first century was, uh, you know, uh, Judea's relationship to Rome. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, you know, of course, Rome, the golden eagle was a symbol of ancient Rome. And uh these two rabbis had encouraged these two young men to tear down a golden eagle at the temple gate. So on the night of the eclipse, Herod had these two rabbis burned alive for this destruction of the Roman temple of the other's golden eagle. Um, we also know that toward the end of his life, Herod uh, was in really poor health. And so he traveled um, to Jericho to the hot mm-hmm. baths um near the uh near the dead near the, near the northeast into the dead sea so right. uh, we know that he tr- he stayed there for a little while at his winter palace in jericho to try to get healed uh so there must have been some time for that to elapse so that mm-hmm. again doesn't fit the 4 bc date when the baths prove ineffective herod then returned to jericho from this uh this area near the these hot pools and so while while he was at jericho herod knowing that he was about to die and aware that most Jewish people actually hated him. He was hated by many Jew- Jews of the day. Because he wasn't he, fully Jew. Uh, yeah, well, that's a that's a whole other issue. <laughs> yeah, he right. was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was an Idumean, and the Idumeans were forced to convert by – this dates back to the time of the uh, Maccabeans and mm-hmm. to the time of the Hasmoneans, rather. And, uh, you know, whether or not they were actually Jewish, that's a, that's a whole other rabbit trail. But in any case, yeah, you're right. He was not – there were some questions as to his uh, his mother was Jewish and his father was not uh, was an Idumean. So there were some question about his heritage and then also just just the fact that he was a ruthless person. Right. But so when when he knew that he was about to die, he sent officers to all the areas of Judea to bring prominent Jewish leaders to Jericho, where he, where Herod had them locked up into the Hippodrome with instructions to his commanders that upon hearing his death, uh, in order to ensure mourning throughout Judea, he ordered all these Jewish leaders to be executed mm-hmm. on, 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 the, you know, on the moment of his death. Now, thank the Lord, he did not, they did not do that. Right. Uh, but all I'm saying, their point here that, that Finnegan's trying to make is that there's a lot of things that are going on between the apparent eclipse of the 4 BC date 
and when Herod died. So could Herod have done this? This is only just about a week or so, a couple of weeks at the most. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then the the fifth thing that he does, uh, Augustus uh, 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 sent him a letter allowing him, we know this, that if there was a, uh, you know, he Herod uh, was under the uh, protection and the authority of the Roman Empire. So Augustus sent him a letter uh, allowing him to either exile or execute his son Antipater, um, and Herod actually sent his bodyguards to execute his son because of fear that he might try to take him out. And that was something that the Romans allowed him to do. So there had to have been some time for the letter to get there. Um, and then uh, in the middle of this, he altered Herod, altered his will, and designated uh, his son Archelaus to have mm-hmm. Judea, Samaria, and Idumea, Antipatus, uh, uh, Antipas, excuse me, to be tetrarch of Galilee and uh, Perea, and Philip to be tetrarch of Galenitis and uh, some of the related regions. So um, anyway, so five days after having Antipater killed, he died. So so all of this points to the fact that. Herod very likely did not die in 4 BC, but sometime in 1 BC, which then places the birth date of Christ again in 3 or 2 BC. So all I'm saying, all of that to say, if you didn't follow all that, is that Herod could not have died in 4 BC because of the fact that Josephus records all these events that mm-hmm. must have happened in the 4 BC date. There was a partial lunar eclipse. And again, some people again, when you look at those, when you look at the night sky. At the 4 BC date, uh, or sometime you know before or after that, then uh, you have some some issues. Um, so this leads us to looking at the uh, night sky, and I was I'm just going to say here that there's been quite a lot of work done on this. And a few years ago, I want to say, gosh, it's probably probably a decade or so now. Uh, there was a lawyer who actually did a lot of work on this, and it's since been published oh, wow. in a video. Um, and he took these two dates, 3 BC and mm-hmm. 2 BC, and because of the advent of modern astronomy software and something uh, called uh, Kepler's, Kepler's Laws of Planetary Motion, uh, we're able to now reconstruct what the sky would have looked like over Babylon and Persia 2,000 years ago. Wow. So in other words, th- anybody can do this. This is pretty r- remarkable. In fact, there's a video on this called the uh, Star or Bethlehem Star, and I forget the guy's name. You, you can just Google it, and uh, there's a DVD. I think there's a, re- you know, a, a recording that people can watch on this. But essentially what, what he discovered is that when you look at the night sky um, over Bethlehem and over Judea 2,000 years ago um, – the date that really pops up, there's a 3 BC date and a 2 BC date, mm-hmm. but in the in the 2 BC date, here's what you have. You have a triple conjunction of Jupiter, Venus, and Mars that seems to appear when Christ was born. Mm-hmm. And then you have a, the, a triple conjunction began with the Jewish New Year. Interestingly, which the Jew, we know that the Jews, um, you know, their their year was actually controlled by the lunar calendar. Right. So the question then arises, and where where do the wise men get their information that there was going to be this king born in Judea? Could, mm-hmm. And again, there's no way to know this directly except for from inference from the Old Testament. Uh, they could have gotten it from a couple of sources. They could have gotten it from Daniel and Daniel's prophecies and maybe even Jeremiah and some other Old Testament prophets. And mm-hmm. we, do, we do know that scholars in the ancient world collected uh, religious and historical documents from other nations. We see this from – uh, dating all the way back to the time of the Assyrian king Ashurbanipal, who had a very large library there in Nineveh. It was excavated in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. So we know that the Babylonians, we know Nebuchadnezzar and some of the other Babylonian kings as right. well, uh, kept records. So it's possible that Daniel uh, could they could have read Daniel. They could have also read the oracles of Balaam, uh, who was a prophet. Uh, he was a, a Gentile prophet, and God used him. Uh, there's really no way to know for sure, but they somehow connected this astronomical event with the birth date of a king in Judah. And um, with the case of the Bethlehem star, when you begin to look at from astronomy, uh, you know, from an astronomical standpoint, again, this is not something that, you know, people are just making up ad hoc, you know, out of thin air. They're actually using modern astronomy software programs. And in fact, you can, there's a couple I'll go 
go ahead and throw out there. One is called uh, Redshift. I think it's called Redshift. I think they built, okay. you can download it for free. And you can, uh, using GPS or Google Earth, you can actually, uh, you know, have your observation point in Babylon or have your observation point in Persia and look at what the night sky looked like in over Jerusalem in 2 BC on dates. And you can go through the whole year. And you, the reason why you can do this is because of because of Kepler and Kepler's laws then help us to identify, you know, and pinpoint exactly because the, you know, the, the, the stars are like a giant clock. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's, you can't like, uh, you know, you can't fake the sky just operates on like precision when you begin to plug in the date. So, so the point is, is that when you look at those dates and some interesting things come up, Jupiter rises in the east. That's, you know, that's pretty interesting. Right. But um, so this possibly is what the Magi may have seen. Jupiter mm-hmm. uh, was ahead of the Magi as they traveled south from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And then, interestingly, and again, the, uh, and there's some early church fathers that actually uh, have this date as well. Um, on December the 25th, 2 BC, Jupiter goes into retrograde and appears to stop over Bethlehem, located five miles south of Jerusalem. And that is a rare, very rare astronomical event that uh, only happens every, you know, 100 years or so. Mm. So uh, so those are some interesting things, and that's sort of uh, where I land on the issue. And I know that there are different views on this. Um, but I, again, I would recommend people check out the book by Jack Finnegan. Uh, I've got called, the, I've got them pulled up on my Amazon already. It's so. called Handbook of Biblical Chronology by Jack Finnegan. Uh, the other book that I'll recommend to people is uh, this was actually um, again uh, independently I think of Finnegan's work, although I think Finnegan may have used him. He got his PhD at Cambridge University in okay. England. Is Dr. Harold Honer H O E N H O E H N E R. And Honer's book is called Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ, and okay. this was his PhD dissertation on the life of Christ, on, on, on the exact dates. And interestingly, Honer has uh, the birth date of Christ somewhere in around 4 BC or so. Uh, again, so again, there's different views on this. The other book that people might want to check out uh, on the chronological aspects uh, for Je- the life of Jesus and the birth mm-hmm. date of Christ is a book by Andrew Steinman, uh, S-T-E-I-N-M-A-N-N, and that book is called From Abraham to Paul, A Biblical Chronology, and uh, Steinman's book um, is a book of chronology from the entire Bible, so he he looks at dates from the, for the entire scripture. Uh, but again, this is an issue of biblical chronology and exactly trying to find an exact date, and right. it's difficult to do with 100% certainty. Um, but again, I think the linchpin for me when we're looking at these astronomical astronomical events is to look at, first of all, when did Herod die? Was mm-hmm. it 4 BC or was it 1 BC? And when was it likely that Christ was born? And all of mm-hmm. the early church fathers have the birth date of Christ Some. 10 of the, the earliest 12 church fathers have Jesus being born in 3 or 2 BC. So, um, again, that's kind of um, uh, the thumbnail sketch of, of my understanding of the, of the Magi star and where, where I would say what they saw is Jupiter rising up, mm-hmm. and then uh, you have this triple conjunction, and then Jupiter goes into retrograde over Bethlehem on December 25th and Christ could have been several months old by then. He probably was not, you know, just born. Right. Was already just a child. Cause yeah. Cause I think in, when Matthew, when he, when they got to him, he was already what about two years old. If yes. I, that's yeah, correct. So, you know, I wonder, so how, I wonder how long it, when they saw the star, how long that journey was. Yeah, that's a great question. Probably, I wouldn't say it would be in, you know, uh, over a period of years, but probably right. months or so, you know, several okay. months. And I wonder, because I was like, okay, well, I wonder how long it was, you know, that it, Jupiter in retrograde was hanging out for them to journey, you know, yeah, when they did had they to, saw them? Yeah, like, I think okay, they had to have been, <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. They had to have been uh, in, you know, in Jerusalem 
to speak with Herod in order to, for that to happen, of course. Uh, and then that right. way they could um, then follow the star over Bethlehem. And interestingly, I'll tell you one other little side thing, since we're talking about the archaeology of Christmas. Uh, and the irony is that Herod himself, uh, when, when he died, when he died, he died at Jericho. His body was taken by procession to his burial place right at a site overlooking Bethlehem, and that site is called – he named it after himself. It's called Herodium, and Herodium mm. was named in honor of himself, and uh, according to uh, Dr. Jody Magnus, who is an archaeologist at UNC Chapel Hill, um, I interviewed her for my podcast. And, oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. She Very actually, familiar. She actually believes, and I think she's right, that um, uh, Herod wanted to be remembered um, in his association as king of the Jews. And so he wanted to be buried at Herodium, and he was. He buried at Herodium. And mm-hmm. Josephus tells us, tells us that he was buried at Herodium, and uh, there was an, arch- an Israeli archaeologist um, named Dr. Ehud Netzer, and Netzer spent decades – uh, at least a couple of decades, looking for the uh, tomb of Herod the Great. Uh, Herodium is like a man-made. It looks like a little miniature volcano, but it's a it's a palace fortress because Herod had built about fifteen or fifteen fortresses all throughout uh, Roman Palestine because he feared the Jews. He didn't fear the Romans. He feared the Jews, the Jewish uprising, and the most famous one, of course, is Masada. Mm-hmm. But the one where he was buried is at Herodium. And then in 2007, uh, the Israeli archaeologist Ehud Netzer discovered the uh, the mausoleum, which is actually built on the side of Herodium, and Herod's coffin had been smashed to pieces. Whoa. Uh, smashed to pieces sometime after he was buried. So he had a lot of people that hated him. Yeah. And, and uh, somebody, <laughs> somebody took a rod, a rod of iron and smashed his coffin to pieces. Yeah. But they reconstructed it, and it's now in the museum in Jerusalem. And uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Magnus has a great article on that. And um, she, uh, she believes that it's one of the most important archaeological discoveries in Israel since the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. It's overshadowed by the fake news that jesus's tomb was discovered in jerusalem uh, right. when, it was, when it was announced in 2007 and there was a discovery channel documentary was put out and when netzer made his announcement that herod's coffin had been discovered it was overshadowed by what turned out to be a hoax uh the the talpot tomb in um in jerusalem mm-hmm. so uh so anyway we have the sarcophagus of herod the great and irony of all ironies uh herod uh, was was uh, announced by the Roman Senate in 40 BC as being the king of the Jews. In fact, uh, there were a group of Jews at the time of the first century, mm-hmm. in fact, even the New Testament, called the Herodians, who believed that, G- that that Herod was the fulfillment of the Jewish prophecies about the king of the Jews. Isn't that oh, interesting? Wow. And because he restored the temple in Jerusalem, yeah, uh, he he expanded the temple tabernacle. He did these massive building projects all throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Roman Judea. And so he wanted to uh, claim uh, ownership of the prophecies of the Jewish Messiah. But of course, he did. He was not, you know, he, he was not that, uh, but he he wanted to be remembered for that. Yeah. Um, speaking of speaking of Herod. So we, you, as you were talking, your presentation um, dealing with when exactly Herod died and uh, mentioned some grotesque things that he did. Um, I know it's kind of debated as far as the Herod killing the babies off from, you know, from, you know, newborn to two years yeah. old. And um, one thing that I've heard was that because he was so brutal, it was in his nature. It was just kind of like, oh, that's something that's nothing new. It's almost and it's sad to say this, you know, in America. I mean, when you hear, you know, gun violence on the news, it's kind of like what else is new? Yeah. And I'm just trying to find something. I don't mean to, you know, to disparage anybody that has been a victim of that, um, either directly or indirectly, but just kind of put it in comparison when people say, well, we don't know if that really, well, you have some scholars who say, we don't know if that really happened. Same with the census. Are you able just to briefly, I know we're coming short on time. Can you touch on those two things from an archaeological perspective? 
Well, yes. I mean, uh, from from an archaeological, as far as the Herod's uh, brutality, um, you know, the the death of the firstborn in Jeru- in Bethlehem mm-hmm. uh, in the surrounding area is in perfect accord with what we know about about Herod's character, uh, even based on uh, Josephus and other accounts. Um, he was uh, very paranoid. In fact, he had one of his sons killed. Obviously, he had his um, one of his wives murdered. Um, some of his closest friends murdered. Um, he was a. In fact, there is a. Uh, there's some really great work uh, done on his life. Uh, there, I mentioned Ehud Netzer, uh, mm-hmm. one of the best books on. Although he doesn't deal with the brutality, he deals with the architecture. It's called the Architecture of Herod the Great by Ehud Netzer, N E T Z E R. Um, as far as the um, as far as the census goes, um, I have a great. I have an article that I try to summarize uh, on the census, and uh, you know the New Testament gives us. Uh, the Bible, not just the New Testament, the, all, the Bible itself gives us chronological markers um, of when we can actually pinpoint dates. And um, the, uh, the census, uh, of course, talks about Quirinius uh, when he right. was governing Syria. And there's several different solutions to that. That's um, hard to summarize in, a, you know, in just a quick manner, but I'll just say this, that uh, there are uh, some incredible inscriptional evidence found in Asia Minor. Uh, which is now modern-day Turkey, right. that indicate that Quirinius was the, definitely the governor of Syria. Very likely, mm-hmm. he possibly was governor twice. And um, Luke mentions, uh, you know, the census when, uh, you know, during the time of Christ. And we do know that um, we do know that uh, when censuses were given, uh, that people had to return to that to their ancestral homeland. And so that meant that would mean that. You know, Mary Joseph would have had to return to Bethlehem, right. uh, which would fulfill the prophecy in Micah. You know that uh, that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And another interesting thing about that is that Bethlehem, of course, means the house of bread. Right. And of course, Jesus, of course, that's connected to, of course, the prophecy of David, him coming from David. Uh, that's prophesied all throughout the book of Isaiah. Jeremiah talks about this, that, you know, a branch from Jesse will mm-hmm. come out of Bethlehem and Micah. Prophecy talks about this. So most Jews at the time knew that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, which would connect him to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, talks mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, the, God's covenant with David, that I'm going to set one on your throne who's going to come from your own loins, and he's going to reign and he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness, and and this prophecy was given in Second Samuel chapter seven, the Davidic covenant, and then it was you know continued to, to you know all throughout the Old Testament. Um, what's interesting and ironic about that is that um, it's connecting him, of course, to David, but then mm-hmm. there's also a little bit of a an irony in the sense that um, that Jesus is also the bread, the manna from heaven. That in the wilderness in Deuteronomy talks about and in the book of Numbers talks about when the Israelites complained in the desert that they wanted bread, God sent them bread, um, you know, and they rejected the bread mm-hmm. and that, that God sent. Another interesting connection is that Jesus and Mary and Joseph, uh, when they were uh, when it was threatened by Herod that he was going to kill you know, all the young ch- male ch- children around Bethlehem in the area, you know, was it two years and younger, something, right. something like that. Yep. And uh, so Jesus and Mary and Joseph go to Egypt. Now, that's interesting in a couple of respects, historically and typologically. Um, number one, Jesus is retracing the footsteps of the nation Israel mm-hmm. as they go down into Egypt because of a famine. But interestingly, during the Roman period, uh, Egypt was annexed, of course, by Rome. But when uh, they defeated, when uh, Octavian beat, uh, you know, beat Mark Anthony and Cleopatra at the Battle of Actium, they annexed all of Egypt. And at that time, Rome was feeding all of their people bread. They were giving them free bread. Well, you know where they got most of the grain to make the bread in Rome? They got it from Egypt. It was called the Fayum, the breadbasket. We know that the Nile Delta, and, and another little interesting irony about that is that the reason why Joseph and Jacob and all the Israelites went to Egypt was because of a famine, because there mm-hmm. was bread. So interestingly, 
the bread from heaven goes to Egypt, retracing the footsteps of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the Israelites, and then he comes back out of Egypt to Israel to be the bread for the world. So he was given to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles as well. Mm. That's that's man. That's a, so that's a <laughs> that'll preach. <laughs> yeah, I was getting ready to say if somebody know how to homiletically <laughs> weave that man, you got some good shouts on that point, man. I'm Amen, telling you, brother. that great day. That'll I'm preach. The bread of life. Oh, the bread. Woo. Glory God, to God. God knows what He's doing. I and tell you, I, I mean, it's literally like I really. Because uh, some people can get lost in the scholarly, archaeology, theological world, but it's kind of like when you are on this, which like, nah, wait a minute, there is some really good nuggets over here that can help the people of God. And that's the whole point of this podcast is, look, I got a lot of stuff on my mind and I, I just want you guys to see the truth of scripture that. Yes. Our Bible is not lying. It is it is God's truth. It is inspired. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen. It is inerrant, right? We believe that Amen. this is God breath, and so this is why I bring these 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 brilliant men and women on here, so you guys can go and find out. Like, man, that that you know what they were right, or you know, give you an apologetic, uh, um, a defense of the faith, know how to have these type of conversations, especially this time of the year. I mean, you're getting it from Muslims. You're getting it from um, people who have left the faith. You're getting it from all sorts that Christmas is pagan. Uh, the story, Jesus is a recapitulation of another God. Uh, the same thing, um, Isis and Osiris and Horus, man, they were the same virgin. It's like, no, wait a minute. If you do your research, a lot of them borrowed from Christianity. And so one thing I think Barr put out an article, several articles with bars, which is a biblical archaeology review slash society where pagans got December 15th from I'm sorry, December 25th from Christians. I think they were celebrating on December 17th, the 21st. Uh, so it's a lot of um academic resources and just be careful when somebody says well just google it i've done my yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) you done your research (laughs) and even then even if they start posting the jeremiah 10 2 through 5 and did okay what's the context and what christian do you know carries around a christmas tree and oh hell great christmas tree and you know, leave that to home alone. You know, they, you know, Kevin yeah, has nothing to do with Christmas. It has, it has no. to do with Asherah, a Canaanite goddess, Thank a, fertility, you. a fertility goddess. We've actually found her. We've actually found a mold in northern Israel uh, where she was actually placed on a wooden shaft, a pole, Asherah. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a there's a clay mold with Asherah. She was a Canaanite fertility goddess, very well mm. known in the archaeological record. And if anybody just knows the archaeology, they know that that's Jeremiah's not talking about a Christmas tree. That has just, nothing to do with a Christmas completely tree. ignorant of history. People just there don't know go. what they're talking about. And, and it's crazy because, I mean, it's just people that just it's regurgitate nonsense. You know, it's just I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, talk about anybody, but it's just kind of like it's true. It's true. Make sure you understand the context where you go and start posting. Let me research before I start posting <laughs> because I don't want to look like idiot because somebody's going to check you. Like, you know, that's not what the context of that scripture or, you know, Christians didn't get this, you know, Santa Claus is, you know, that is St. Nick. It's, and then you get to Santa Claus, it's the Dutch involved with their version of St. Nick or his name in Dutch. And it's kind of like, well, oh, well, I thought it was pagan. I thought it was pagan, you know, but anyway, <laughs> before we before we go let me ask you this why did the magi go to herod the first is because of they were coming from persia or was it a sign of respect yeah i would say it was probably they i mean if they're there are foreign envoys going into a new area they probably um they probably got some intel on the road you know who when we you go into you go into judea you better talk to Herod because he's, you know, although it was Roman controlled, Herod was sort of the puppet of the Roman Empire and was the sort of the de facto king of that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would have probably got that information on the road when they're traveling. Um, I, I'm actually involved in doing some archaeological work in Turkey, and I've been there uh, three times. I was just there about a month or so ago. And I've been to this. There's an amazing place that was built in the 
16th century. It's an Ottoman palace built in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's right, right on the trade route coming from Persia, coming from ancient. In fact, where I was doing my work was literally about two miles from the Iranian border in Turkey. And this palace uh, was put there by the Ottomans, by the Ottoman Empire. And the reason why was that when the uh, Persian emissaries would enter into Ottoman lands, they would mm -hmm. know that they're, you know, they're entering into a very powerful kingdom. Right. And so, uh, so just like, just like that, if the Magi were going to enter into, into Israel, then they would have definitely gotten word that they better, they better go see Herod before they, you know, before they go and try to, you know, discover. And so, in fact, when, when they go to Herod, they actually ask him because they thought he knew. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they didn't really know. And uh, of course, Herod then consulted the, uh, you know, the scribes and they said in Bethlehem, of course, which is, which is Bethlehem Rephrata, which is the surrounding area of mm -hmm. Bethlehem. And we know that there were caves in that area and where shepherds would have been. And um, so, so yeah, so, so Herodium is actually right there within eyesight of very likely the fields, the shepherd fields where Christ was born. So mm -hmm. irony of all ironies, nothing, oh, yeah. nothing is by chance. Nothing is by chance with, with God though. No, sir. No, sir. <laughs> give, give it to me in one minute. Christmas trees. Are they pagan? No, absolutely not pagan. All right. Um, no, there, there are. The, the passage many people point to in Jeremiah um, mm -hmm. from from historical point from the seventh century from the late Bronze Age all all the way down the Levant uh, we find in the archaeological record uh, Canaanite fertility gods and goddesses the two main ones of course were Baal Baal B A A L mm -hmm. and his female consort called Asherah and Asherah was a, a fertility goddess that was associated with trees in high places. Mm -hmm. And uh, the 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 prohibition that the scripture gives are against bowing down to Asherah or making an Asherah uh, the tree. In fact, there's some even some very graphic uh, uh, iconography of trees in female genitalia in the Canaanite uh, archaeological record, oh, wow. showing the trees have to do with Canaanite fertility and nothing to do with Christmas trees at all. Mm. So unless you're going to bow down to a tree and uh, invoke its uh, fertility, then no, it has nothing to do with uh, Christmas trees, have nothing to do with that. All right. Well, y'all heard it. The archaeologist himself. Has... And I actually have a we actually have an image of the of the Asherah mold. If people want to see that, I can I can send that link to that to you. Right. And the pole, that's the um, I think I've been mispronounced the Asherah. I've been saying the Asherah pole. I've been mispronouncing it, but you yeah, know, I think, mm -hmm. it, it Dr. doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, okay. I've heard I've heard Dr. Bill Deaver at University of Arizona called it Asherah. Um, Got you. I'm a, okay. Yeah. Let me correct myself. Um, That's okay. Doc, Dr. Benjamin Sumer has a good book on that, uh, the bodies of God and ancient Israel, but he talks extensively about that. Uh, the say it one more time for me. Asherah. Asherah. He talks mm -hmm. about that in his book. So. Um, yeah, but all right, cool. So, um, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, um, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, they can check us out on our Facebook page. We have Epic Archaeology on Facebook. We're also on Instagram and on Twitter as well. And if they, uh, anyone has any questions, um, they can email me directly, uh, Ted, T-E-D, at epicarchaeology.org. And, um, and I'll try to get to your question as uh, quickly as I can. And then also we've got our uh, course in biblical archaeology coming up. Uh, in conjunction with the Basora Institute for Judeo-Christian Studies. Um, and that'll be in February, beginning February the 2nd on Thursday nights. Um, it's going to be a course in biblical archaeology, and we're going to be covering the period of the United Monarchy. So when David and Solomon lived all the way through the New Testament, and we're going to look at the archaeological evidence for the Old Testament, New Testament. Mm, I swear, if I wanted in that PhD program, I would be signed up right now. <laughs> right now. Hey, <laughs> you hear me? I, because, man, I'm telling y'all that archaeology is rich. It's good. Um, like I said, I have several description uh, subscriptions to various different um, archaeological societies just to read on some stuff, just to get some background information. I'm not an archaeologist, um, but however, it is 
really good just to to hear arguments about a piece of of artifact that they found that is so important that can give us detail about lives of folks that we read about that we preach about um that we teach about so um yeah um I'm going to list that. If you follow us on our social media, I'm going to list that information for you guys where you can get signed up. Um, and I'm going to do that as well for the podcast. Also, Trevor, let me mention as well, yes, uh, there's, a, there's a free resource that people, um, I actually just, uh, pu we published um, with Rocio Christie. I'm sure you're familiar with that organization. Absolutely. Um, I actually wrote the uh, Biblical Archaeology, Student's Guide to Biblical Archaeology that people can download for free. Um, on ratiochristi.org on their resource page. It's a PDF of biblical archaeology. Is the Bible reliable? And they can download that for free. It's a booklet. All right. All right. Please do, do yourselves a favor and download it. And then if you don't have anything going on in February, sign up. Sign up. You're going to do yourselves a favor. All right. Um, well, hey, listen, guys, I appreciate you all downloading and listening. Um, again, uh, this has been a wonderful Christmas series episode. Um, I think this is a good note to to actually wrap it up on with uh, with our brother here, uh, Dr. Ted Wright here, who is, has done a phenomenal job handling the Magi, the star and even dealing with Herod. So um, and ironing out those uh, those details that we can kind of miss. So. Hey, if it's a benefit, you can you can teach on this in your Bible study. Um, if you guys are dealing anything with Christmas, um, you know, preaching, which, whichever you want to take that bread of life, I'm telling you that that's that's a sermon right there. <laughs> so, well, anyways, listen, thank you guys. We love you. God bless you, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. <laughs>